Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. Good. I'm just... uh, uh, Never in doubt. Never in doubt tonight. (laughs) It never was. I had a hell of a day, Bruce. First, my computer crapped out. It wouldn't take a charge. And then we had power outage for a couple hours, so... I'm on my backup computer, and uh, we'll see how this goes. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting day. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Got better, though. This was a very yeah. good game from the orders, and it was... Um, By and large, yeah. Got the job done, which is the main thing, and everybody survived. Five-nothing win over the San Jose Sharks. Is that the first shutout of the year? Second one. They also had a shutout in Washington, 5 nothing as well. Uh, that was the very beginning of their eight-game winning streak. Who had that shutout? Pickard? Skinner. Skinner. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Good for him. Yeah, this was the fourth one of his career. <clears throat> Good for him. Big night for Stuart Skinner. Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, two num- uh, two numbers podcast with one conundrum, which we haven't even discussed. So we'll have to think of that as we go along. Mm. What is your first? What is your good thing? Yeah, uh, I'm going to just go with the first 60 seconds of this game, uh, which basically the Oilers. I I, I honestly expected David with uh, San Jose having played last night and the Oilers haven't played for five days that actually San Jose might come out a little sharper in the early going, you know, just sort of have the feel of the ice and the speed of the game and stuff. But in truth, they were, uh, they did that last night and they had a one nothing lead at Los Angeles and then they got outscored five, nothing in the second and third period. And then outscored another five, nothing in the first and second period tonight. So they gave up 10, 10 straight goals since, but Edmonton, what I liked was they just took charge of it. There was sort of none of this messing around, even these guys hanging around in the game. We did that last time. Paid the price. None of this stuff. Let's get the jump on these guys. And they did right from the right from the early first shift. Like I think San Jose made it about as far as the Edmonton blue line. They got closed down. And uh, uh, the puck went north and into the um, – San Jose zone for an extended cycle. I mean, it was basically probably 40 seconds of the 60 were in the San Jose zone on the cycle. And Edmonton, you know, winning the puck battles, making the passes. There was a couple of really good uh, passes. Bouchard whipped a great pass through to uh, McDavid. I'm pretty sure it was that sequence that I think even surprised Connor. It was such a bullet right on his stick, but there was cross-ice passes coming and going. And it was uh, such an extended shift <clears throat> that, to his enormous credit, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, actually decided he should just go and make a line change, you know, get at least one fresh body on the ice as they were cycling. And the fresh body that came on the ice was none other than Ryan McLeod, the left winger on the second line, of course. And when... Uh, uh, Nuge went off, and I suggested you, we, we always debit guys for bad line changes. Maybe we should credit good line changes on the occasion that we we notice them. But this, I thought this was very disciplined on his part. Like a lot of players would be just 
trying to score. And he went off and McLeod comes on and he enters the zone from, you know, sort of a different trajectory and nobody picks him up on San Jose and uh, Bouchard and Ekholm feed him the puck. And McLeod comes uh, ripping across the slot to the basically left face off dot and wires a very good wrist shot that uh, was beyond the grasp of one Magnus Krona that started the uh, game for uh, San Jose. I know this is one of the great names of all time. I think his, his nickname obviously should be big time, Magnus Krona. I mean, it's all there, right? Anyway, he was not a big time goalie in this game. <laughs> but uh, McLeod beat him with the... With the uh, uh, with that shot, and it was one to nothing, and Edmonton was off and running. And I thought I just saw almost everything I want to see already in 60 seconds: puck control, skating, movement, uh, discipline, you know, and no cheating. And there was no cheating. And Nuge was the was the poster boy for lack of cheating, just sort of getting the job done and then rolling the lines over to the next. And they they basically rolled the lines all night. And they actually did it within the first successful uh, game-winning goal. Third time for Ryan McLeod that he scored a goal in the first minute of a game now. Bruce, I'd never uh, (laughs) like to uh, underestimate the intelligence and wisdom of the cult of hockey faithful. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to guess that not many people got the Magnus Krona joke Without I was a little shocked how few likes it had. I thought this is just, <laughs> I guess nobody took Latin in school. I mean, I did, but that was a long time ago. And I mean, even when I took it, Latin was already a dead language, but it's 60 years deader now, you know. <laughs> so I never, knew that. I, I mean, I, it took me a, about 10, 15 seconds of Magnus, Krona, Krona, okay, time, Krona. And then Magnus must mean bass or big. Magnus yeah. means big, eh? Big priority. Well, Maximus, you know, I mean, but Magnus certainly is, uh, uh, you know, magnum opus, you know, it's 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 a big deal. There we go. So, all right. Anyway, he uh, uh, he proved not really up to the task, but uh, Edmonton, for a change, did not get bamboozled by some backup goalie that nobody's ever heard of before. They got to the guy and they got to him early, and they sent him to the showers after 20 minutes with a. Big four goals against. Uh, no. Indeed. Well, my good thing is the Magnus Krona joke. It's uh. pretty hard to beat that. But I, <laughs> I'll, I'm going to sneak in another good thing. I, I want to add on, actually, to your good thing. I just thought McDavid especially set the tone on that first shift. I think he came in there and hit someone against the boards to win the puck. I mean, I just think he was, he knew you can't, they just can't let this game get away from him, Bruce. They're back to real 500 now. 16 wins, 16 losses, and 32 games. They 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 struggled all the way there, and then they lost three in a row. And now they're back there. They're back in a row. They they're back at real 500, and now they got to build on it. They can't let the, this you know fade away again. But they have a pretty um, strong uh, easy schedule in. Uh, the month of January, so there's hope for that. My good thing, Bruce, is the, I mean, the second goal is so spectacular, it's hard not to pick it. But I liked the, I liked the third goal a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought that was, 
there you're manufacturing a goal out of out of nothing. And uh, although they did have some good offensive zone possession, so it's not out of nothing. And uh, Ekholm, who he and Bouchard, since Paul Coffey took over, man, those guys have been flying out there. I don't know what Paul Coffey's telling them, but he Mm -hmm. should keep telling them that. Because Ekholm is, uh, he's utterly dominant. I know, so like I've heard, I've heard people say that, um, like Nurse is showing himself to be the number one D man. Man, you got to be playing pretty well to be playing better than Matias Ekholm right now. And Nurse, Nurse is playing well, but he's not playing better mm-hmm. than Ekholm. Ekholm is a two-way monster uh, since Paul Coffey took over. And on this in this shift, he did a nice spin move and put the puck over to Bouchard, who mm-hmm. put the puck on net um, very well. And uh, I think it's this one. Is that or was that the goal? No, I think it was this one. Anyway, uh, well, this is the goal. Excuse me. And uh, Bouchard um, absolutely wires the the the, um, the shot, slams it in. Mm-hmm. But what I liked about what I liked most about it was the two guys that, as I I call it the uh, the double Detroit. Uh, <laughs> that Detroit always used to have that high low screen. They'd oh, have two guys yeah. on the slot. You know, yeah. Zetter, Zetterberg was one of them, and they're Holmstrom. 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 Yeah, they're right in front, right of, the in goal. front of the goalie's so face. So this time it was Adam Erdy playing uh, Henrik Zetterberg and um, James Hamblin playing uh, Thomas Dude. Holmstrom. And they the two screens, and the goalie doesn't have a chance. Like, it, yeah. is, a, it, is, a, it is a Californian extraordinaire, the double Detroit screen, as opposed to Nugent Hopkins' goal, the fifth goal, which was the ugliest Californian of the year. The California quadruple bounce. <laughs> oh, I thought it was even five because it hit the one guy twice. I think. Yeah. Then it hit the goalie at least once too. So maybe six. It hit oh. six people bouncing into that net, or six <laughs> bounces, I should say, uh, three or four people. Yeah. But uh, the shooter the Cal- was lucky to get a point. It hit so many other guys <laughs> on the way. <laughs> That's true. Uh, we call it the California, of course, because Sano teams like San Jose and LA used oh. to. And Anaheim used to feast on the Oilers with screen goals. We'd go to the Oilers would go to California during the decade of darkness and just get destroyed on the point shot. It has no rebound, deflection, screen, straight in. So many different ways. And in fact, you know that big loss to Anaheim when they scored three goals in the last couple. There, there was at least one Californian. I'm oh, pretty yeah. sure there. So anyway, it's always nice when the Oilers score. Two Californians in one game mm-hmm. in California. So hopefully they'll get a couple more in against Los Angeles. That would be very nice. But that I love the double Detroit screen. I just think that's a great – that's so hard for the goalie to have those two people um, in front of the net like that. And Bouchard just wired it, and it was a great pass yeah. from home. So a fantastic yeah. skill in the play, but also some smarts and some grit in the play with two uh, guys screened in front of the net. Yeah, well, I'm going to wind back the tape about 20 or 30 seconds before the goal and, and uh, praise another discipline line change. This one by Leon Dreisaitl, a man who's generally not noted for leaving his shift early. And he did so with, the, again, like Nuge on the first shift, with the Oilers in good possession. And Leon had the puck and it came through his stick three or four times. And he'd been out there for a while and he, uh, the puck moved to the other side of the ice and it was the second it was still, you know, he, they, they had to uh, um, uh, 
the fourth line was partly out there and he just departed the scene and Hamlin came out and Hamlin basically made a beeline for the front of the net and kind of stayed there while they worked the puck around. And he was the primary screen. Uh, but Connor Brown made a good play here and, and uh, uh, to, to win the puck on the sideboards and get it back to the point. And Ernie was lining up behind um, Hamblin at this stage. And as Brown passed back to the point, he also circled in front and almost got, he could have tipped the shot almost. And and uh, so they had all the forwards sort of all in the, you know, in the goalie's eyes. And in the meantime, what's going back on in the point is a switch where they're actually changing sides, where Bouchard feeds Ekholm, Ekholm slips, one of them slipped behind the other, and then Ekholm fed a backhand pass back to Bouchard on his forehand. Mm -hmm. And from the point of view of the puck, as Bouchard let it go, all you could see was Ernie. Right behind Ernie was Hamlin, and right behind both of them was the goalie. And as soon as that puck didn't hit Adam Ernie, it wasn't going to hit any of the other guys either. Right into the corner it went, just a perfectly placed shot. And the poor goalie, Magnum, Magnus Krona, had no idea where it was until he heard it hit the hit the net behind him. Are you talking about big time there, Bruce? Big time, Magnus Krona. <laughs> He's on his way, he's making it. All right. Great Peter Gabriel song from uh, 1986. Why did, how does that, was that Big Time was the song? Big Time, yeah, it was, I'm on my way, I'm making it. That was a big time hit for Peter off of his great So album. He was a big time star. Yes. Uh, in the 1980s, Peter Gabriel for a while there, he was huge. He was big in the 70s too, of course, with yes. Genesis. But yeah, my favorite musician <clears throat> is he? Has been for many, many years. I saw him in Commonwealth Stadium with David Bowie in '83. Yeah. I love Bowie, but I went there to see Gabriel first, and Bowie was a real nice bonus. <laughs> that is a that is a fascinating choice, Bruce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, it's not he's not my favorite, but I think it's a really interesting choice. International man of peace. He's got a lot going on. Hey, was he in that um, Christmas song that they sang band? I don't think he was. Was he in the band aid song? Did he skip I that out? I don't believe so. I do know that he was a lot of uh, Amnesty International uh, world of music, art, and dance, real world studios. Like, he had a lot of things going on, and he was very influential on not let, just the English, them, but world music scene. Yeah. Is that Let Them Know It's Christmas? Is that the name of the song, I think? I think that's the one, yeah. Yeah. So. Think people still listen to that song? Probably around Christmas. They recycle everything, don't they? Yeah, we listen to it. I like that song. <laughs> um. All right. Where are we now? Still in San Jose, still winning 5 nothing. We've both done our good things. Uh, yeah, our one, bad one, things. one each, yeah. What's your bad thing, Bruce? Yeah, my bad thing is, is simply that uh, several of the Oilers' big stars took hellacious hits in this game. I mean, very, very heavy hits. Uh, this dude named Nikita Okochuk uh, from... Uh, San Jose, number 83. Mm -hmm. right? And uh, 
he was just running around and he really, really hammered Darnell Nurse with as heavy a collision hit as I've seen in a long time. Like, you don't often see Nurse come out on the second best. And, I mean, he packed a wallop too, but, uh, oh, Okochek stepped into him and just dropped him. That was just a hellacious collision. And later he crushed Dreisaitl into the sidewall. And McDavid got hammered in this game and Nugent Hopkins got hammered in this game. Uh, if anything, I, I thought the, the Oilers maybe needed a little little pushback physically at some point that they never really showed. They just controlled the puck and won the game that way. Uh, Kane did hit Kane got a pretty good shot in on this Okochuk, but I uh, wouldn't mind seeing one or two more to be honest with you, especially after he rammed Drysaddle in the third period of a five nothing game. You know, that was uh, that's called for some sort of yeah, yeah I mean, response. You know what I mean? That could hurt us, we hit you. That can Simple really, that. uh, that can have major consequences yeah. if oh, a yeah. top player gets hurt. One yeah, day. that nurse collision with Okotiak oh. was massive. That was a <laughs> malfunction at the junction, a meeting of the minds. Was it ever? All right. Um, this guy is, but carry on. He was big. He's as big as an O-Chuck o- wagon. Um, Bruce, my uh, bad thing, I, I there was nothing really that bad from the Oilers in that game. So I'm just, the thing that was in my mind that whole game was the last time they'd been in the shark tank. And this the bad taste in my mouth from that game is my bad thing. It's lasted this long. And it's kind of wiped away. But that that last time they were in San Jose, that lost a good coach's job. And it still rankles a little bit. I mean, they I, I really like the new coach. I think Paul Coffey is... Um, <laughs> You wrote, you wrote a post today about si- Ryan McLeod silencing his mm-hmm. critics. Well, Paul Coffey's doing, he has done the same. Man, this defense corps, like these guys are playing so well and with so much confidence under Paul Coffey's tutelage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's transformed some of these players. It's just, it's, it's remarkable. Nonetheless, that was a really rough loss that last time. And the owners, they had nothing that game. They looked terrible. And that's why Jay Woodcroft lost his job. But a game they really needed to win. His team came out super flat. Maybe that maybe they were just all lacking confidence, holding their sticks too tight, all the cliches that game. But man, they just stunk it out that game. And and um it's it's gonna be hard to forget every time they go to San Jose, like that game, that you know That's good. You don't want to forget that. They're gonna have to call the shark tank Woodcroft's end because uh <laughs> That's what it was. It was the end of Jay Woodcroft. I mean, literally, the next day they did. He coached one more game, but they they had decided the next morning that they were going to replace him with uh, with Chris Knobloch. So um, they're doing well under Coach K. But I I have a lot of respect for the the work that Jay Woodcroft did with that team. He had the, the orders flying at different times. I, I have to say though, they ne- he never had the defense playing like this. He had the forwards playing very well at times, Jay Woodcroft did. And they would play, they had some strong streaks of defensive play, but we've never seen this kind of confidence with the puck, moving the puck from six orders defensemen all at once in, 
since the 1980s, I don't think. And um, is that too much, Bruce? I don't I don't know if it is, but maybe in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But even then, like it wasn't really a puck moving other than Pronger. It's really a and spot check. It wasn't really a puck moving uh, group of D men. But these guys, man, they're playing. They're just slinging passes. Beautiful. Yeah. So that was my bad thing. But yeah. Uh, what's your okay. what's, what's your number? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I'm going to go with a complex set of numbers. First part of it is O for twenty nine. Uh, with the O being the number of goals that Ryan McLeod had versus 29 shots on net at the 21 game mark of the season as his uh, long, long scoring drought uh, went on and on, uh, 21 uh, 21 games into the season. And then the second part of my number is four for four, which is McLeod scoring on four consecutive shots in the last three games, uh, he had one, uh, two shots in New Jersey, and they both went in. He had one shot in uh, New York, and it went in and stood up as a game winner. After he scored the first goal, the last goal in in uh, uh, New Jersey, and then tonight he came out and he scored the first goal again on his first shot. So four consecutive shots that uh, that found the net, and you know what the mathematicians call that. Uh, regression to the mean and whether you like analytics or hate it you've probably heard that term and you either like it or hate it depending on how you feel about the big picture but it's just what can be expected to happen I wrote about Ryan McLeod uh, yesterday and for starters I'm tickled pink that he didn't immediately crap the bed in the next game the last two favorable positive posts I wrote uh, the team stopped winning and Evan Bouchard stopped scoring. So I thought, geez, do I dare say anything nice in them? So McLeod scoring right away made me feel good. But uh, he's regressed so far to the mean that his shooting percentage now is 14.3% Whoa, on the season. Da. And he's fourth on the team behind Hyman, Hamblin, Dreisaitl, and now McLeod in fourth, and he's got a better shooting percentage than Connor McDavid. And this after starting the season zero for 29, and he has regressed not just toward the mean, but to and probably even beyond the mean in terms of what you would expect from this player for shooting percentage. But he's had a nice hot roll, three consecutive uh, two-point games, and uh uh, he's now up to 13 points on the season in 32 games. And just like that, uh, he's on pace for about a 34, 35-point season. And this is coming from way back. So uh, presumably uh, neither the hot roll that he's on right now nor the extremely cold run that he was on earlier are truly representative and that the, the truth lies somewhere in between, but uh, uh, we can put paid to the notion that he can't score because he most definitely can score and he's learning how to score. I think he's going to score more than he has. And there's no reason to not to expect him to get, you know, 15 or more goals, which would be a new career high. He's progressed so far to the mean, Bruce, that goalies are calling him Mr. Mean. <laughs> Dad joke alert. Um, <laughs> he... You know, I uh, what is dry subtle shooting percentage, Bruce? Uh, Leon is just 16.3, which is poor for him. He's usually around 20. 
Yeah, he's the guy that uh, most, you know, I think actually of all the contributions of the so-called analytics crowd to, um, you know, that particular school of hockey, you know, school mm-hmm. of hockey analytics. And there's a couple different schools out there, but yep. that particular school, the best and the most interesting con- contribution they made was that concept. It's very valuable. It's really useful in understanding hot streaks and, and um, poor streaks. Mm-hmm. It, it plays out again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they got that idea from baseball, from watching batters and pitchers in baseball. They were, they were a lot of baseball fans, right? Mm-hmm. Those guys. And, 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 it, and it was a really good idea. And it, and it proves itself to be true. Now, of course, there are exceptions to the rule. Like some people like Bruce McCurdy always pointed out with the 1980s Oilers being an exception to the rule of a team that not getting a ton of shots necessarily, but scoring a ton of goals because of high quality chances. Yeah. And, and this has been proven out with Leon Dreisaitl, um, the way that his year after year after year, he's right near the top of the league in shooting percentage because he's just such a deadly and parsimonious shooter. He's not a, he, he will, you know, he doesn't just fire away at will. He's looking right. to pass if a really good shot isn't there and he gets high assist totals because of it. But man, did he, you know, does he ever drill in the shots at a high rate? But to give those guys credit, that was a really useful idea. And, and um, uh, Excellent uh, work by them. So my number, Bruce, <clears throat> is Stuart Skinner's numbers since the last time he was in San Jose. So after that game, that that you know the, uh, Woodcroft's end, um, he had he had uh, at that point he had played eight games. He had one win and six losses. He played eight in eight games, one win, six losses, and he had an 8.54 save percentage in that first part of the season. And it's interesting that everyone was so mad at Cam. I guess he was lucky Cam was on the team. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have been a lot more hot water. He looked a little better than Campbell. Campbell um, just never looked settled in the net. Yeah. He never looked uh, solid in the net. Was it you? Who, who was – did you bring up this anecdote? Someone – Apparently, Brian Lawton on Oilers now, I didn't hear this myself, had said that he would never have offered Campbell a contract because he never made the same twi- uh, same save twice. And what he meant was he was never settled enough in that. Yeah. And, and it was such an apt comment about Campbell, and I, mm-hmm. it was uh, painfully apt. Anyway, yeah. so Stewart had an 854, Stuart Skinner, 854 save percentage in his first eight games. Since then, Bruce... In a league that I think is having, where the average save percentage I think is around 903. Yeah. Stuart Skinner in 15 games since then, is it 15 or no, 16 games 16 since then? 16 tonight. games counting tonight, 12 wins, four losses, and a 909 save percentage. Yep. Stu Skinner, you're getting it done. My the 243 bad. goals against average in those games. 2.43. Yeah. Nice. Anything below two, two and a half is really good. And it's, you know, really a three goal league. Owners are, yeah. The owners are doing a good job of really, really cutting down on the five alarm shots. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we talked last podcast or the podcast before about how at even strength, just how unbelievably dominant the Edmonton owners have been in the last handful of, you know, 15 games or so. It's it's just remarkable. And you would expect them 
based on that dominance to, to march into San Jose tonight and, and win by five goals because they've just been crushing it. Um, this is a remarkable team right now. But um, when the puck does hit the net and they are getting uh, shots on net, Stuart Skinner's been okay. He's I've all, he's he a good... good he did tonight. He There was a... What was the, the grade A shots tonight were... Uh, what do we have, Matt Bruce? My documents all... My computer does oh, not. I think it was ten to ten, and it was four to two, and and five alarms. Like it wasn't. A uh, it was uh, eleven to count. twelve. Eleven to twelve okay. for San Jose, okay. and uh, four to three for five alarm yeah. for the Oilers. Oh, there was one late. That's right. Yeah, there was one late for San Jose where Hoffman. I think it was Hoffman shot around the power play that Skinner fought oh. off to preserve his shutout, which was great to see. Like you, you always want to see the goalie get that shutout. So yeah. All right, Bruce. Conundrum time. You got anything in mind? Uh, well, I think the schedule kind of sets up pretty obviously that they'll start Skinner in Los Angeles on Saturday and come back with Pickard in Anaheim on Sunday with a minimum 22 hours rest but yeah. uh, between starts, but unfortunately no travel. So it'll be... Uh, uh, so that's... That's pretty cut and dry. Um, how many? How, here's. I think they play 14 games in January mm-hmm. against uh, fairly um, a lot of weak teams. Although they do play Toronto and they play LA and they play Nashville, and then the other ones are tend to be teams that are not um, haven't been crushing it. Uh, your conundrum. How many games do you think Pickard will will get? in that time period, Bruce? They play uh, 14 games starting tonight through the end of January, but they only play 11 games in actual January because they're off on their break after the 27th. Okay. So uh, Philly, Ottawa, Chicago, Detroit, Montreal. That's a pretty promising set of games. You would think, although Philly's tough. Uh, Then Toronto, Seattle, Calgary, Columbus, Chicago, Nashville. A lot of winnable games in there. And you'd like to think, you know, some of the teams that are pretty good, that the orders are maybe better than pretty good and should be able to, you know, win their share of the tough games and take care of business um, with the other clubs. So here's the conundrum, Bruce. Mm-hmm. These They got to win these games, yes. right? Yeah. And we know that this is a team perfectly capable of not doing that. Of, yeah. of, do you think we're going to be smiling or frowning at the end of this month on the way they play? What's your smiling or frowning? Those? I think they're coming on, and I think I think we're going to be doing a fair amount of smiling. I think and, I think so. I'm convinced. I I just because of the dominance we've seen at even strength, and. Yeah. They're getting okay. You know, both Skinner and Picard are playing okay. Or Pickard are are playing uh, at least okay in net. Skinner's, you know, now playing better than the league average. And um, so, yeah, I just see this is um tonight's game was the was a veteran team yeah. uh, needing a win because they've dug themselves a hole, knowing that and just coming out and kicking butt. And I think we're going to see a lot of that actually in the next month. I'm going to see. I think we're going to see a team on a roll, a, a really super determined team, 
who isn't going to let games slip from their fingers with lackadaisical play. Mm-hmm. And I don't think McDavid's going to let it happen. And, uh, you know, in two weeks, Connor McDavid is 27 years of age. We've been watching him since he was, I have, uh, well, since he was, I guess, 16 at the World Juniors and 17, yeah. Yeah. his final year of junior. You know, he's 27 now, Bruce. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's a man. He, he is, and he's had it with losing. He has had it with losing, which is why he came out tonight and played the way he did. He just wasn't going to lose this game. He wasn't going to let his team lose this game, and and that's exactly what happened. They didn't lose this game. So I, I see that happening enough in January. And and I think, and I'm hoping that other, you know, the other veterans, I think Nurse is getting it. I think we might see Leon start to pick it up as well. He's got two line mates now that um, should work for him. You know, they're they're really fast. They've got some skill. Ryan McLeod was playing like, you know, he's big as a damn mountain tonight. He's got so much confidence all of a sudden. He's holding the puck. He's making plays. And uh, I just he's think... Running Dreisaitl, around a little bit. He took a nice big run at a guy on the play yeah. that he got the assist on, Dreisaitl's goal. He, he made a couple of nice physical plays on that, yeah. on that particular sequence. So, yeah, I just think they're going to... I think we're going to be uh, smiling widely. That's my prediction. I hope so. You want to talk about taking care of business, by the way. This tonight was the fourth time this year. Fourth time this year. The Oilers have led four nothing after the first period. Now, as you'd expect, they're four zero and zero in those games. But <clears throat> the final scores of those games were six one, four one, six one, and five nothing. So at no point in any of those games did they let down and sort of you know let two or three goals get in and you know get. The other team make a game out of it. Once they got the big lead, they just took care of business. They didn't necessarily score a whole bunch more goals. They just, you know, basically shut the game down. Like tonight's game was largely boring in the second and third periods. So I thought my wife actually fell asleep at one point. <laughs> and that doesn't happen very often, but uh, it was, uh, you know, there just wasn't a lot happening. And that was just fine by the orders, you know, smile away the clock and, and uh, you know, take our chances when they come, but there's no reason to get greedy, you know, and try and score a big pile of points because the Sharks and their, you know, just take care of business, and they did. And I think that's what's going to happen this month. Bruce, let's leave it there. Thanks for talking tonight. Right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.